time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress Yo, I'm grateful to God. It is preaching time. Thank you so much for being a part of our worship today. I'm excited about the word that God has to share with us today. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Thank you also for being a part of this, our third installment of our series, Black is King. Uh, what we've been endeavoring to do throughout the course of this sermon series um, is to take a step back and ensure that we are using a part of our year to affirm who we are and who God has created us to be. Um, there's so many beautiful messages in the visual album, Black is King. Uh, so many things that spoke to me in what I consider to be a very uh, deeply and profound way. And I wanted to find ways to uh, connect these themes that spoke to me very deeply, very spiritually. I wanted to find ways to connect them to the truth of who we are according to the word of God. Um, there's so much in our society that denigrates um, that tears down the image of who we are as black people, um, the non-affirming messages that we receive uh, in response to the basic statement that black lives matter. Um, and I think that it is important that uh, the church be a place where our black bodies can be affirmed uh, and can be affirmed leveraging the word of God. So um, that's what we're endeavoring to do. That's what we've been doing throughout the entire course of this series. And to just be honest, and this isn't even a brag, but that is what City Point Community Church is about all year long, 365. Um, so we're going to jump into, uh, after word of prayer, 1 Peter chapter 9, uh, and I'll read that verse and we'll jump right into the word. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for giving us a chance to come together to hear your word. Uh, even though we're coming together virtually, God, we know that your presence and your power is still with us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak through me to these, your people. And I pray that we will all leave this, um, leave this stream better than we were when we came in. It's in Jesus' name we pray that you and you alone will take all the glory and credit. Amen. Amen. Let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Um, the tag of this sermon is, who are you? Who are you? Uh, Jesus once asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Right? Jesus is in this space where he is alone with his disciples and he asks them this question, who do men say that I am? What's the response that he gets back? What he hears back from them is that some say that you are a prophet. Some say that you are Elijah reincarnate. And then he poses the question to them. Well, who do you say that I am? In response to that, Peter jumps up of all people and Peter makes this crazy faith declaration. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of of the living God. The question that Jesus asked at that moment was about his identity. Because Jesus understood who he was and he understood who he was portraying himself to be to the disciples. 
But he also understood that regardless of who he was in reality, there was also this social identity out there, this perception that other people had of him. And what Jesus perhaps is seeking to do at this particular moment is to query the disciples to understand who did they, in fact, perceive that he was and what was the social commentary out there about who he was? Question I raised to you this morning is similar to that question that Jesus posed to those disciples. But I turn that question back to you about you. The question is, who do people say that you are? The second question is, who do you say that you are? You see, it's a question of identity. If you're black or Latinx, that question has attempted to be answered for centuries in this country through things like propaganda and the people who control media creating narratives about who you are. Those that have made attempts to undermine your humanity just to justify the savage treatment of us in this country. It was the case in distant past. And let me tell you, honestly and truthfully, it is saying it is still the case in the right now present. That narrative, even though it's untrue, it still carries a lot of weight, a weight on our psyche. A weight on us when we think about our possibility for ourselves, a weight on us when we think about the possibility for our children, a weight on us when we think about the possibility of what can happen if I pray in faith. It is a weight that we carry, right? It is this weight that comes along with the narrative, with the ideals about who we are as black folks in this country. Question that I raise to you today is who do people say that you are? Who do you say that you are? But most importantly, I raise to you this third question. Who does God say that you are? Because though there is this narrative out there that seeks to degrade blackness, there is more. There is a more powerful narrative that is out there that is more powerful than these pervasive narratives out there that have been meant to denigrate uh, these narratives that have been meant to justify the savage treatment of our people in this country. That is more than this this narrative that is out there about you, this narrative about you, that you do not fit the beauty ideals, that you do not fit the beauty standards, that you that your life does not matter. Let me tell you that there is another narrative and it is stronger. That is a narrative that comes from the word of God. That narrative is right there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let me read it again for your hearing. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That is your identity. For those of you black folks that are in Christ, that is your identity and that is an identity that can never be tarnished. There is no media narrative that there is no underhanded narrative out there can that can tarnish or diminish the truth of who God himself says that you are. This text out of first Peter. Is a text that comes from the pen of Peter. Peter is that disciple that some of us have this love hate relationship with. Uh, Peter is the one that denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter is the one also that cut the ear off of um, of one of the soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. Uh, 
Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter is the one that um, not only did he deny, but like denied three times. That's that's Peter. Peter is also the one that would speak up on that day of Pentecost. It is that same Peter. It is that same Peter that was funny acting and Paul had to call him out on it when Peter refused to sit with and eat with Gentiles when the Jews came around. Is that Peter? Peter that we have this love-hate relationship with, he does some amazing things, and then he has these moments where he falls off. It's that Peter that writes this. It is here in Peter's writing that Peter is writing to those who are Jewish Christians that he describes as being out in the diaspora. That means the dispersion, people that are, are not in their native land. They are cast about, spread out across the known world. Peter is writing to them to give them some encouragement, to boost up their faith, to boost up their morale. And what Peter is telling them is basically y'all need to keep on keeping on. You need to recognize what you have in Christ. You need to recognize your identity in Christ, that you are special, that you are not like the others. You did not stumble over the stumbling block. No, you are the ones that actually believed in faith that Jesus Christ really was God in the flesh. And through believing, you have been saved. Peter is telling them to keep on keeping on. And in addition to keep on keeping on, he tells them, I want you all to live a holy life. By the time we get to chapter two, verse nine, Peter is ready to draw this juxtaposition. The juxtaposition that Peter is drawing is between those who did not believe and the group that he is writing to who did believe. And Peter has talked all about those that did not believe. He has said that they have stumbled over the stumbling block, that they have rejected the chief cornerstone. And Peter has said, but don't worry about it. That's not who you are. You are not those who have misread truth about Jesus. You are not those that have misread the truth about your identity. No, you are not them. Peter says, instead, you are something different. Let me tell you who you are. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want to raise up for you just a few things that I see here in the text that I hope will encourage you, will strengthen you, will provide hope for you, will provide some endurance for you during this trying time that you will be able to answer back to the response of that question, who are you? You know, that question that that um, Rafiki asked December, that that question that we hear come up in black is king, who are you? You will be able to respond by talking about the, the bigness, the boldness, the beautifulness of your identity in Christ. Here it is. The first thing that I see in the text is that he uses this word chosen. He says that you are a chosen people. Another translation says that you are a chosen generation. I can't talk about chosen without, first of all, talking about election. It's Paul in Romans where Paul lays out beautifully the doctrine of election. It simply means that those of us who are chosen are actually indeed chosen. We think that we chose God, but actually God chose us. Yeah, it is like 
It is like the brother in the club that finally um, picks up the courage and musters up the strength to go and buy the woman a drink or introduce himself to the woman. And, and, and long story short, they end up exchanging numbers and long story short, time passes and they build a relationship and they get married. And this guy in his mind all along thinks that it is because he was big and bold enough and he mustered up the strength and the courage to finally go over and talk to her. That is because he chose her that they are now together. But the reality is there is something different. What he does not realize is that while he was making up his mind, while he was deciding whether or not he would go talk to her, she had already checked him out. She had already looked him up and down, looked at his shoes, decided whether or not he could be a good foot fit, decided if he came and talked to her, whether or not she would even engage. She had already made the decision about whether or not he was worthy and acceptable before he even got it in his mind and got up the courage that he would go talk to her. Yeah, the reality is before he even saw her, she had already saw him and already made conclusions and judgments. The reality is she had chosen him before he chose her. That that is in some ways what it is with God in the doctrine of election. It is that it is indeed us who did decide to believe by faith in Jesus Christ, make him the Lord of our lives. And through that, we have been saved by grace through faith. But the reality is God had his eye on you much longer. Uh, in essence, it is through the power, the divine strength and power of the Holy Spirit that we even had our eyes and our hearts illuminated. Right. The light of the Holy Spirit shining in us, the light of the gospel becoming clear to us for us even to believe and be saved. The reality is you are saved because you are chosen. God picked you out. God looked out there on the earth and God picked you out and chose you to be saved. He says you are a chosen people. You are here not by coincidence, not by happenstance. You are a part of the community of faith, the community of God, because God chose you. And I don't know about you, but I think that that deserves a moment for us all to just step back and not just gloss over too quickly the fact that God chose me. The me that I know, the me that you don't know, the you that only you know. God chose you that that is something to shout about. That is something to be excited about, that that is something to, that brings great joy and great hope that regardless of who I am, God chose me. He says you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. In all of my faults, in all of my shortcomings, in all of who I am and all of who I am not, God chose me. He says, you are chosen people. Let's push on. Secondly, he says that you are a royal priesthood. He there uses some language that is very interesting. Royal priesthood. There has never been an instance in the history of of Jewish people that royalty and priesthood went together. These are two separate functions. Kings are not priests and priests are not kings. Priests serve a function of serving the temple, of, of, of giving the sacrifices, of, of uh, giving the daily prayers to God, of making the sacrifices of atonement in the temple to God. That is the work of the priests. 
but they're not kings. What Peter does here is he combines these two very distinct ideas that we are one royalty. Right. In high places. But then we are also priests functioning in low places, doing the dirty work of the sacrifices. Yeah, that word priest might bring about some uh, sexy ideas of a person that gets to carry some level of authority and prestige within a, within a congregation or a religious organization. But the reality is, if we're talking about in this day, what a priest is, a priest may have had a beautiful robe, but he had a nasty, dirty and ugly job of making sacrifices. Some of those sacrifices were taking bulls and dragging them to the altar and binding um, them to the altar by binding cords around their horns and tying it to the altar and then slaughtering the bull as a sacrifice. That's not a beautiful job. That's a butcher's job. Peter says that you are royal, royal priesthood. One of the things about priest's work, though, is that the priest's work had privilege. Priest work also gave them what they believed to be direct access to God. Yet people didn't atone for their sins, right? They didn't repent of their sins simply themselves. There was what was called the Day of Atonement. And on this Day of Atonement, it happened once a year. The people would bring their sacrifices and they would offer them to the priest. And the priest would go before God to offer atonement on behalf of the people. But can I tell you, because of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, we no longer need anybody to go to God for us. Some of us may have grown up in a Catholic tradition and we are accustomed to confessing our sins to the priests and 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 the priests telling us whether or not we can be forgiven and what we need to do to be forgiven. Let me tell you, if you ever tell me your sins, you just telling me your business. You do not have to disclose to me your sins in order to be forgiven of your sins. You've got direct line and direct access. You can DM God for yourself and you don't need to go through me. The priest has that direct access. And that is the point that Peter is trying to portray here, that he is trying to communicate is that you are special. There is something special about you. There is something unique about you. And I should say in the you, he's talking about y'all. This is community here. He said what's special about you is that you are royal and you've got this direct access to God. Not only that, not only does he say in the text that you are chosen, not only secondly, do I see This point about the royal priesthood. But let me say, thirdly, this fact that we are a holy nation. A holy nation, he says here, we are a holy nation. That effectively just means that we are a collection of people that have been declared holy by God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. We are declared holy. Let me push this thing along and give you the fourth and final point. He says that you are God's special possession. I close with this illustration. So um, last year, this is pre-pandemic. This is back in 2019 uh, for Carla's. uh, Carla had a big milestone birthday and we decided to take an international trip. And one of the places that we visited was the UK. This was our first time together in the UK. And one of the places that we had to visit were the crown jewels. We went to go see the crown jewels. We had to get up early in order to get there and contort our schedule in order to fit this in. Didn't mind standing in line to see the crown jewels. So you go see the crown jewels. 
You go in and, 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 and everything is behind the glass case and you can't just stand around looking at the crown jewels. There is a conveyor belt, right? A moving walkway that moves you around so that nobody stands in one place too long because this is um, incredibly beautiful um, jewelry and treasure that is a part of the crown jewels. And so one of the things that I notice, right, as we are going through looking at the crown jewels is that there is all this jewelry, but there are no prices. There are no prices assigned to any of the jewelry within the crown jewels and no prices assigned to any of the treasures within the crown jewels. And that 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 is a very different kind of situation. I'm used to going into places where I can see jewelry and the jewelry that I see is usually behind some glass. And the jewelry that I see that is behind the glass also has this little teeny tiny tag on it, which says the price in about size four font. That's what I'm used to seeing when I see jewelry. But when I see the crown jewels, I don't see that. In processing it, here is what I realize about the crown jewels. That some things just don't have a price. Those things are simply for the enjoyment of the possessor. That's right. Some things don't have a price. They are simply for the enjoyment of the one who possesses it. Let me tell you that according to Peter, that that's who you are. You are God's special possession. You are a part of God's special treasure. And there is no price tag because you are priceless, valueless, uh, so valuable that there is no way to assign, I should say, a value to it. Priceless. God's treasure. So valuable that he gave his only begotten son so that through believing in him, you could have eternal life. So priceless, so so priceless that it took the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Priceless, So, so priceless that even if you ain't got a dime in your pocket and can't afford a lawyer, you've got a great advocate in Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God advocating for you. You are priceless. So I leave you by just simply saying this. When you look at yourself in the mirror. Tomorrow morning. I want you to look at yourself the way that I looked at behind those glasses, those glass cases in the crown jewel exhibit. In the way that I looked at those jewels in the way that I looked at that treasure, I want you when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, I want you to look in the mirror and see yourself the way that I saw those beautiful treasures those beautiful jewels. I want you to see yourself as a part of God's special collection that's just sitting behind the glass. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let us pray. Father God, in Jesus name, thank you for reminding us of who we are, of who we are in you. Thank you that we have an identity that can never be tarnished. Thank you that we have an identity that the media can never denigrate. Thank you, God, that in who you created us to be as black men and as black women, you decided that we were your special treasure, your special possession, your special prize, your priceless peace. 
Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us more than this country could love us. Thank you for loving us more than anybody else could love us. Thank you. Thank you. I pray, God, that as we move forward into our week, that we will keep mindful of the fact that you love us, that we are special, that we are priceless, that we are a royal priesthood and a chosen people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, yeah.